today we're going to be in the book of Jeremiah. So if you have a Bible, let's go ahead and open up there. As today we're going to kind of look at an introduction to this book. And the way that I divided it up is verses 1 through 3 is kind of like a canvas, if I could say. The backdrop upon which God painted his, uh, his story. And then in verses 4 through 10, we'll look at Jeremiah's calling. And uh, what we find in life is that everyone's calling is very personal and very powerful. And, uh, and so we're going to see that in Jeremiah. And then in verses 11 through 19, we're going to see his confirmation. And one of the beautiful things about this passage is God shares with Jeremiah, you know, before you were born, I formed you in your mother's womb. I knew you. I ordained you. I sanctified you as a prophet to the nations. And I don't know if you guys uh, ever think about that, but just it's really cool, I think, uh, to actually uh, ponder that question. Why was I born? What was the mission in God's mind for me? You know, and it might not be, you know, you're a prophet to the nations or the president of the United States of America. You might be this amazing mom or dad or, you know, sibling or friend. Um, But uh, whatever it is, my prayer is that we would glean from this section of scripture so that we would be able to say that this is when God was knitting me together in my mother's womb. That Think about it. As you're there, DNA, he's kind of working on all the little things. There's no mistakes here. As God is making you in your mother's womb, he has a mission in mind. And so just the real big question is, Lord, am I doing what you made me to do? And so, you know, in the world, it's interesting. I was looking up that question, why was I born? And one of the answers there, it says, you were born because sometime in the past, living cells found out that creating a new cell is more efficient way to pass on its information than to sustain itself indefinitely. And, and that's the world because they don't have a God. And so their explanation is merely uh, scientific and it actually, it makes no sense whatsoever. And that's what happens when you take God out of the equation. This is why the world is in the shape that it's in today. And so for us, may we never lose sight of the fact that God made us with a mission in mind. And so we're going to see that here in chapter 1 of Jeremiah. We begin, first of all, with kind of like the background. In, in verse 1 here, uh, Jeremiah chapter 1, it says, The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. And so you get a little background right off the bat as far as what was going on when Jeremiah ministered. And there in verse 1, we see that he's the, he's a son of Hilkiah of the priests. And so it's helpful to know, it's interesting even to know that Jeremiah was of the priestly lineage. Now, you guys might remember that in order to be a priest, you had to be a descendant. Uh, you had to be within the tribe of Levi. 
But not only was he of the priestly lineage, but many scholars believe that he was also a descendant of Aaron, making him of the high priestly lineage. And so that's really interesting to me. Um, it tells us really a lot about his upbringing. Think about, you know, born a certain way. You were born with a certain DNA. You were born with certain gifts and talents knit together in your mother's womb. But you also had a certain upbringing, right? Uh, we could all uh, point to things and maybe you say, well, that messed me up or that helped me. Listen, God's going to work it all together for the plan that he has for your life. And so we know um, Jeremiah, he, he was saturated in the scriptures because he's being prepared for that position of being a priest or maybe even high priest. And so, you know, God would use his time of training and upright bringing. God had these plans for Jeremiah and they were saying, well, you're going to be a priest. But God said, no, you're going to be a prophet. He would be a prophet, not only to the southern kingdom of Judah, but he would also be a prophet, it says, to the nations of the world. And not just Judah and eventually the whole wide world, but you know what I see, you guys, when you read the book of Jeremiah, is it's a word not just for then, but for now. This is a word for the United States of America. Because in many ways, what we're going to read in the book of Jeremiah is a similar setting to what we see today. That Jeremiah was a prophet called when the nation was dying. And now, of course, we know Jerusalem will not be destroyed. Israel will not be destroyed. But what we find is that they were disciplined severely, and it was almost as if he was trying to prevent them to, from dying. And that is kind of like what we see in our nation today, whether you want to admit it or not. You might be one of those who are optimistic. You're saying, no, we're good. We're Christian. We're the United States of America. And yet we kill 2,500 babies every single day. You know, the world is changing. The world is changing right in front of us. You know, uh, Great Britain just recently appointed a new prime minister. And I don't know anything about the individual. I do know this. It is the first prime minister in their history who did not at least profess to be a Christian. Think about that. Now, you might think that's insignificant. You might think, well, it's no big deal. You know what? These guys, not all of them are saved. Yeah, but at least they claim to be Christian. Now we find ourselves in a situation where, you know, our, our allies, uh, what's going to happen to our country? You know, all of our presidents have at least claimed to be Christian, to Catholics. But what we find is the world is changing. And so I don't know about you, but you see someone dying, you see someone dying. Will you do anything about it? Would you go over there to help them at least try? That's where Jeremiah was in the beginning, because he saw the way that they were caught up in idolatry. But then eventually the, the message came to Jeremiah and the message was, you got to tell the people that they will be judged by Babylon that they will be carried away captive by, by the Babylonians. I mean, that would be like me telling the world today, you know, the Iranians will conquer the United States of America. Now, do you think that would be a popular message in the church? Would that be a popular message in our country? You know, the Russians, the Iranians, the North Koreans, they're going to conquer our nation and carry us away captive. Now, a lot of 
thoughts go through your mind. You know, you're thinking, first of all, that's not right. They're bad people, you know, in that sense. And, you know, secondly, you're thinking that sounds crazy. You know, especially when you consider the fact that Jeremiah prophesied uh, a beginning uh, 13 years into the reign of Josiah, Josiah was one of uh, Judah's best kings, one of their best kings. Two, Judah's two best kings were Hezekiah and Josiah. And so, you know, you're thinking, no way, no way. But the word of the Lord came to this man. He was a prophet that God ordained. You know, we find that today his message is applicable to us. You know, my prayer is that as you guys study this book of Jeremiah, that you go out there and you start telling people about Jesus. You start telling them about his salvation. Tell them about his love. Tell them about his cross. Tell them about his blood. But also tell them about his judgment. And tell them about his holiness. And tell them about his coming. Because he is coming soon. What we see going on in the world today and all this craziness you know, they can't even, you know, tell, well, I don't know if I should raise them as a boy. I don't know if I should raise them as a girl. You know, marriages are not staying together because there's no conviction. I do until I'm done. There are so many crazy things going on in our world today. God's not just going to sit back and let it, let it pass. So we have to learn, prayerfully glean from Jeremiah. We all have lips. We all have, if you're here and you're saved, you have Jesus inside of you. My prayer is that we would not commit the sin of silence and that we would find our place in the body of Christ. Maybe you're here and you're a pastor. Maybe you're here and you're a missionary. Maybe you're here and you need to get involved in in church service. You know, I don't know. Uh, That's between you and the Lord. But whatever you do, make sure you find out. You don't want to be no guessing. Oh, I wonder if I should do something. No, you got to find out for sure. You know, Jeremiah, um, he was kind of 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 the priestly lineage and so you know there was expectations and yeah i think that contributed to him knowing the scriptures but 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 he the lord said no you're going to be a a prophet i have something very special for you and and not only was he of the priestly lineage but he was raised in the city of anathoth in the land of benjamin we see there in verse one and so this was located about three miles north of jerusalem North of Jerusalem. So let me ask you a question. Pastor Henry was asking earlier if any of you guys want to go to Israel. I'm just curious. Would any of you guys like to live three miles north of Israel? I mean, Jerusalem? I mean, I would. I would love to live there. No, no. Um, I'm, you know, I apologize to the city of Almani, but I would love to live there in Jerusalem, man. Three miles away. This is where he was. And so that definitely meant that he visited the temple frequently. You know, according to Joshua 21, 18, 1 Chronicles 6, 60, Anathoth was one of four cities in the territory of Benjamin allocated to the descendants of Aaron. You know, and, and when you read it, it's interesting. Again, we, we don't know for sure. I, I don't want to be dogmatic about it. But Hilkiah, if you read in the, 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 the history of, of uh, Judah, he was the one that found the book of the law that had been lost in the temple. Think about that. And that was Jeremiah's dad. And so it's really interesting when you look at this, how you, know, you get a little bit of background about him be, being of the priests who were there in, in Anathoth, just about three miles outside of Jerusalem. But then the bulk of this introductory material has to do with the, the time frame 
in which he prophesied. And so here we have in verses 2 through 3, uh, three kings that are mentioned. Uh, first was Josiah, who, as I mentioned, was one of the best kings Judah ever had. But the thing about Josiah is he followed a king named Ammon, who was the son to the worst king that Judah ever had, and that was Manasseh. Manasseh ruled for 55 years, and he was the most wicked king that Judah ever had. It would be like us, and you guys, we could probably talk about uh, how horrible some of our presidents have been. Imagine this guy, Manasseh, 55 years of complete wickedness. And so, you know, by that time, God said, okay, it's done. You guys, as a nation, have crossed the line. And so the judgment was determined. And so this is kind of the backdrop. You got Manasseh, you got Ammon. He only reigned uh, for a brief period of time. But then you have Josiah, and he was a good king. But after him, there were four kings that followed, and every single one of them were wicked. And so this is the backdrop to the time frame of Jeremiah. Uh, What we find is that um, Josiah ruled from 639 to 608 B.C. And so right around there, 639 uh, B.C. is when he started. And so Jeremiah was called in the 13th year of Josiah's reign. And so this puts his ministry right around 627, 628 B.C., right around there. And so when you do the math and you look at all the different kings, what you find is it was about it was about 40 years later, 40 years later, where Jerusalem was carried away captive to Babylon. And Jeremiah prophesied throughout the whole time, 40 years. He's just sharing with them. First of all, you guys got to repent or God's going to get you. You got to repent. You got to get your life right. You got to stop that idolatry. You know, it makes me examine my life. Lord, is there anything or anyone that I'm putting before you? Because if there is anything or anyone, myself included, that I'm putting before God, then I am guilty of idolatry. And so this is where he's telling them, you guys, come on, get right. But they didn't. And so then he was saying, well, okay, then yield to the discipline of, of God that Babylon's on their way and they wouldn't they fought him tooth and nail they arrested him put him in chains put him in a slimy pit they tried to kill him I mean it's this great uh, the kings the priests the people they were all against him think about that this is where where he was you know it mentions three kings here in verses two through three it does not mention Jehoahaz or uh Jehoiakim, because those guys only reigned for three months. But we'll discover that Jeremiah continued to serve and minister even after the captivity. The Babylonians appointed a governor uh, named Gedaliah, and then that governor was murdered, and so the people were afraid, and they went to Egypt. Even though Jeremiah told them not to go to Egypt, they not only went to Egypt, they carried Jeremiah with them captive, And we don't know for sure, but many people believe that what happened is there in Egypt, because Jeremiah prophesied also to them, there the Jews in Jerusalem and Egypt, that Egypt would be judged by Babylon. And so just you name it, man, the message of judgment went out and they say that the people stoned Jeremiah to death in Egypt. And so we don't know for sure, but more than likely that's how he died 
All I know is this, that he went through 40 plus years of ministry, just sharing that message of judgment, sharing the message of truth. And uh, some people say there was not a single convert. He was known as the weeping prophet. And so, again, the bulk of his message is directed towards Judah. And so we imagine this happening to us. You know, one of the things about Jeremiah is that he was nothing like Joel Osteen. You know, you got this guy uh, preaching a message up there with a million-dollar smile and who knows how expensive his suits are. And, you know, he's got this positive message. 40,000 people flocking to hear his full, feel-good, imaginary message and how good you are and you're the best and you're the blessed. And when in all reality, you're living in idolatry. You know, what a liar. What we This guy was totally different than what we see today. You know, he, he's therefore often called the weeping prophet. And you read through the book of Jeremiah, you read Lamentations. And what we find is that this guy went through so much, you know, sharing with Judah and, and even sharing with the world. We're going to see that in chapters 47 through 49. And then even Babylon would be judged according to 50 and 51. And then he concludes uh, with the fall of Jerusalem he viewed in, in chapter 52. And so I, I want to give you guys a visual. We actually, I think, have a chart just to kind of give you a little look at the contemporaries of Jeremiah and, and, and who it was that was there. And I don't know if you guys can see this from where you are. So on the right side, we have the big picture. And, and on the right side, you can see uh, the 70-year captivity but prior to that on the left, and there's more of a close-up here on the left side, you have King Josiah right there, right? And so um, 13 years into his ministry, you have the prophet Jeremiah coming in. And, and what we find in looking at the book of uh, uh, Jeremiah is that you have these kings, Josiah, you have uh, uh, Jehoahaz, you have Jehoiakim, you have Jehoiakim. And then all the way, it's kind of easy to remember the last king of uh, Judah because it starts with a Z, and that's Zedekiah. My son taught me that, and so that's kind of cool. And so, but you look up at the top, and you see uh, the prophets. Uh, you see Ezekiel, you see Daniel, and uh, you also see um, Habakkuk. And so it was even during this time that we find that Jeremiah prophesied now daniel was carried away in the first uh siege uh the first captivity uh, ezekiel was carried away in the second and uh ezekiel ministered there um and then we find as, as jeremiah was there in judah the entire time and so it's kind of cool to be able to see the contemporaries zephaniah habakkuk ezekiel and daniel and so a little bit a little bit of the background the canvas upon which this is painted but then we get into the, the nitty-gritty and we begin with his call. And look at verse 4, uh, Jeremiah chapter 1. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. And I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And so... You wonder, like, how did the word of the Lord come to Jeremiah? You know, was it an audible voice? Or was it just kind of something that, you know, you hear in your heart, like a still small voice? If I could ask you guys, like, how do you hear the word 
of the Lord. You know, do you ever hear God's voice? Do you sense his spirit? Um, One thing I know for sure is that when you have a relationship with God, you know the voice of the Lord. You just know it. That's what Jesus said in John 10, 4 and John 10 and 27. And so here's this young guy. We don't know for sure, but, you know, 17 years old, maybe 20 years old. He's a young guy. He's preparing to be a priest, maybe even high priest. And then one day, I don't know, maybe he's just praying on his knees. And all of a sudden he hears the word of the Lord and the word of the Lord comes to him. And, and the word of the Lord says in verse four, 5, before I formed you in the womb, Jeremiah, I knew you before you were born. I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Imagine hearing that from God. Imagine hearing that voice. You know, destined to be a prophet, designed to be a prophet. You know, a prophet is one who foretells or foretells God's word. They're like a messenger, more than a pastor, that's for sure. A prophet might be someone like a Billy Graham or like a Chuck Smith or like an A.W. Tozer, uh, someone like that. And so, you know, very special calling. And a prophet is one who must be able to say, that which I received from the Lord, I delivered to you. And so before he can go, God's word needs to come. And that's what happens in the book of Jeremiah. We're going to see that in every message he shares But it's interesting, before he gets prophetical, God gets personal with him. How even before God formed him in his mother's womb, God already knew the plans he had for Jeremiah. And with that end in mind, the knitting began, the forming began. He was put together for that future, handmade for that holiness, custom made for that calling. He was sanctified and ordained as a prophet to the nations imagine that you know and and when you think about that whatever you do don't sit here and think well that was just for him because no that's the way it is for us all before you were even being knit together in your mother's womb god already had in mind the mission he had for you i believe that's the way it is for us all that there's you know, this designed DNA that we are given. And, you know, I read the Bible. I know David wrote about it, for example, in Psalm 139. You guys might remember that passage in verse 13 through 16. For I formed you, I, I, before you formed, David said, my inward parts. So you formed my inward parts. And you might think, well, that has to do with my, you know, my, my organs or something. But, but I think that it's deeper than that because you know how there's like there's this interior part of you. There's a soul, there's a spirit, there's like the inner man. God says, I, I formed your, your inward parts. David said, you knit me together in my mother's womb. So you got the, the, the physical parts too. That's all part of it. And so David says, I will praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. Do you know this very well? Do you know this, that God made your inner man? God made your outer man. Do you know this, that God formed you together in your mother's womb? It wasn't just your dad. It wasn't just your mom. It wasn't just random. It was God who made you. David said, I know this very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. 
your eyes, he says, saw my substance being yet unformed. And this is so amazing. And in your book, they all were written the days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. I mean, it's just so amazing when you read the Bible and you realize not only were you formed and knit together in your mother's womb, but even the very days, all the days are already in God's book. Today is in his book. You know, your life is not random. God has this plan that he's working in. We need to be more aware of that. David says, I know this very well. You you might go through a day like today and think that today's insignificant. Today's not that big of a day on the Richter scale. But you never know. This might be the day that changes your life. If we open up our hearts to this understanding, especially if it's something that you haven't been living in, have we been living in this truth that I was made with a mission I was formed for a certain future, not just, you know, every once in a while, oh, you know, on that day over there and that year over there. No, every single day God is involved. That's what we learn when we read the scriptures. You know, David wrote about it. Paul wrote about it in Ephesians 2.10. It says, for we are his workmanship. And that word in the Greek is poema. We are his poem. We are his handiwork. One translation says we are his masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There is these good works that God wants us to walk in. We should walk in them, but some people are not walking in them. You want to know why they're not walking in them? Because they're idolaters. Because they put themselves or they put someone or something else before God. That should never happen. For us, these good works are there. For us to walk in them. Paul said the same thing to Timothy. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, he said in 2 Timothy 1, 8 through 9. Nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel, according to the power of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began that's how huge god's plans are for you whoever you are all of us here anyone who can hear what i'm saying there's no exceptions here god has a plan for your life that's why one of the most famous verses in the bible jeremiah 29 11 for i know the plans that i have for you says the lord i mean you 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 go to jeremiah 29 They're there in Babylon. Things don't look good. God says, I still have plans for you. We see even here in the very beginning, you know, before you were formed in your mother's womb, I I knew you. That Hebrew word, yada, it means to know intimately and personally. It doesn't mean we have a preexistent state. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the fact that I have this plan already in mind. And so, you know, you, you read that and, and so you're thinking, well, does, and then does that mean that everyone, you know, uh, does what they're designed to do? Does everybody do what God designed them to do? And, and the answer really is, and I think we all know the answer is no. There are many people, there are most people, most people even in the church that are not really doing what God designed them to do. Even Jeremiah, we're going to see, he had some struggles with this. And there was a season where he didn't speak. And he initially, even here, resisted 
because he didn't think he had what it takes. Notice what we read here in verse 6. He says, and then, I, then, I, then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And again, we don't, I mean, I wish I could see this, but he's praying, he gets his word from God, and then, you know, he's talking back, Lord, I can't do this, I can't speak, I'm, I'm so young. And God says, don't say that. Don't say that. Don't say you can't. And, and whatever you do, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid. You know, don't say that because the truth is, even though you're young, um, when you're old, Jeremiah, I want you to know that you're going to be able to look back on your life and find that you went where I sent you and you spoke. You said what I told you to speak. You're going to be a success, son. I mean, that's the word of encouragement he gives to Jeremiah. I like the way one version puts it, on whatsoever errand I shall send thee, thou shalt go. And, you know, when you think about doing errands for the Lord, I mean, how many of you would think, that's a privilege, huh? God, you want me to go to Sam's Club? I'll go to Sam's Club, you know. Whatever it is that God wants me to do, I'm going to do. And Warren Wisby said, God's word to Jeremiah was, you will be what I want you to be, and you will go where I want you to go, and say what I want you to say. I supervise your conception. I consecrated you, and now I'm ordaining you. He said, if God calls you, believe what he says and obey him. You may not fill up to it, but your adequacy comes from God, not from yourself. You know, I'm not, you know, saying that I got it all together or anything, but you can talk to anybody in my life. I was the shyest guy you ever met. I can't believe that he's allowed me to be a pastor. I can't believe it. And so, you know, whatever it is, don't be afraid. And don't say, you know, you're too young. Remember, God chooses whom he uses and anoints whom he appoints. That's what the Bible says. And, you know, you're, you're afraid of them because you're younger than them, but you don't have to be afraid of them, even though they're mad-dogging you and they got scowls on their faces and it looks, you know, if looks could kill, you'd be dead near Jeremiah, but, but they can't kill you because even though all of Judah will be against you, God says, I am with you, I will deliver you, God says, and I always call it the invincible principle. You can't die until you're done. We have nothing to be afraid of, and no one can touch you unless God says so. And so for us, the, this, the key is to be obedient. You know, when you think of someone young, I like what F.B. Meyer said, God has often selected the young for posts of eminent service, Samuel and Timothy, Joseph and David, Daniel and Jeremiah. John Calvin wrote his institutes before he was 24. Wesley was only 22 when he inaugurated Methodism. In every age of the church, young eyes have eagerly scanned this word in the Bible and have dared to cherish the hope that since youth did not disqualify Jeremiah, so it would not render them unfit for the special service of God. You know, and so for you young people, because there's a few young people here today, 
you know, number one, whatever you do, don't lower the standard and think, well, you don't have to be as godly as your parents are, as uh, the adults are. You know, that's not true. As a matter of fact, when the kids, they're growing up, they love the Lord. They love the Lord because they have a tender heart. My prayer is that they would continue to love the Lord. They would never stray to the right or the left. And that you would know as a young person, you can be like Daniel. Maybe he was only 12. Think about that, 12, when God began to use his life in a mighty way. You know, one of the things that you got to know is, number one, you're not too young. And number two, you're, you're not too old. Do you ever feel as if God can't use you? Well, if you ever do, remember this. Noah got drunk. Abe and Sarah were too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a deceiver. Joseph was abused, accused, and then arrested. Moses stuttered. Gideon feared. Rahab lied. Elijah was depressed. Elisha was bald. Jonah went the wrong way. Naomi was a widow. Job lost his children, went bankrupt, and almost died friendless. Peter denied the Lord three times. The disciples slept when they should have prayed. Martha worried. Mary Magdalene was possessed. The Samaritan woman was divorced. Zacchaeus was short. Paul, who, who other than Jesus may have been used by the, the most, persecuted the church the worst. And Lazarus was dead at one time. I mean, God used all of their lives. And so what excuse do you have? I mean, is there anything about us that grace can't erase? No. And God can enable us to do whatever we were made to do. But we have to answer the call. We have to listen to the word of the Lord. No more excuses. What's true for Jeremiah is true for us. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, he, he came and he spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God said, I'm with you always. And so therefore, we don't have to be afraid. Acts 18.10, the Lord said, for I'm with you, Paul. No one will attack you to hurt you because I have many people in this city. Same thing in Acts 23, verse 11, 2 Timothy 4, 16 through 18, when Paul testified before the, the leaders, uh, no one stood with me, but the Lord stood with me. The Lord will never leave you nor forsake you, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. You know, that promise, um, it, it starts with, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? And, you know, for us, it's all different. But, you know, some people, they're doing in the children's ministry and they're there with the children and they're doing it unto the Lord. And some people are ushers and they're opening up that door for Jesus. And some people are back there and they're working on the computer or they're pushing sound buttons and they're doing it for Jesus Christ. But whatever it is that God's called you to do, understand that's, that's, that's the thing that we have to know. God's with us. You know, when the Lord called me to the city of Almani, he gave me a similar uh, truth. I mean, again, you know, looking at my own life, nothing, nothing to offer, nothing. I can't, I'm not able, I'm not worthy, nothing. I still sometimes don't understand how it happened. 
But I do know the Lord gave me that verse in a supernatural way. And my daughter had painted a picture for me with this passage on it. I was there looking at it in my office, wondering what it meant. And then someone called me just randomly out of the blue, and they gave me the same scripture. How did that happen? Deuteronomy 31, verse 6, Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them, for the Lord your God is with you and goes with you, goes with you wherever you go. And those words just rang out to me. And like Jeremiah, and it happens to all of us, not just me, if you're listening, right? like Jeremiah, the word of the Lord came to me. And then, you know, the choice is, are you going to obey? Or will you be afraid? You know, and there were times where I second-guessed myself. I'm there weeping in the custodian's uh, closet. What have I done? I've ruined my life. I'm there, you know, walking the streets of Valley Mall, wondering, God, what have I done with my life? I had it made where I was. All I know is that whatever it is that God has for you, he will speak to you. And and when when God calls us to go and to speak and whatever it is that he calls us to do, he will equip us. Look what it says here in verse 9. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. A couple of big things happen here. Number one, the Lord touches Jeremiah's lips with his own hands, symbolizing that he would put his own words in Jeremiah's mouth. Secondly, the Lord set Jeremiah over the nations. And what you look at, it's amazing to me how you would take this you know, little 17-year-old young man, 20 years old maybe, and put him in such a place. But the touch of Jeremiah's lips, it, it consisted, I don't know if it happened literally, probably not. It was another one of those visions, something he saw. And, and of course, we know that you know, no member of the Godhead literally had hands at that time. Jeremiah receives his vision because he need not worry about having the right words to say. God would be able to manage his messages quite well. You know, even if you guys ever go out on the, the, for the jet team, on a Saturday, sometimes people are afraid to go out because they don't think that they're going to be able to say uh, the right words. Or what if I end up, you know, having a conversation with somebody on the streets? Or what if they ask me a question and so they don't go? Well, Abel will be the first to tell you, man, God will give you the words that you need to say, but you have to show up, right? You know, one translation said it would be a message of judgment and blessing to the nations and the kingdoms. And that's why God used the two metaphors to describe Jeremiah's mission. Comparing Jeremiah to a farmer, God said he would uproot and announce judgment, and then he would plant, and that would be a blessing. Comparing Jeremiah to an architect, God said he would tear down, destroy, and overthrow. That's pronouncing judgment. But then on others, he would build, and that pronounces blessing. And so this was his calling, you guys are going to see it as you go through the book of Jeremiah. 
I went through the whole book and I read it. Uh, you got to read the whole book. You want to get a bird's eye view and then you want to come back and dive in. And so a little bit of the background, the canvas, and then a little bit on the calling. We could probably spend the whole night there. But then the confirmation in verses 11 through 19, it says in verse 11, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. And then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am ready to perform my word. I don't know if you guys will ever experience this in your life. But, you know, you take a step of faith and then you're there in the middle of a a difficult time. And then there's part of you that maybe questions, did I take the right step? But a lot of times what God does is in the beginning of the calling, he gives you that supernatural confirmation. And what ends up happening is you can look back and you can say, you know what? There, even though right now it's tough, I know that I know that I know that God called me. You know, and so this is the beginning stages of Jeremiah's uh, ministry. And so God supernaturally gives him the, the vision and the confirmation he would need because without that confirmation, you might quit, right? And you've got to know that this is God. And sometimes the confirmation is behind you. But what we find right here, I was thinking about how Moses uh, didn't want to go. And so the Lord did these uh, supernatural wonders with Moses. And he turned that staff into a snake. And he gave, made his hand leprous. And then he healed him. Remember those signs? Just kind of you know, confirming to him because he had doubts about the ability to speak because he stuttered. And then there was someone like Gideon and Gideon was called to defeat the the Midianites. And, you know, um, he set these fleeces before God. So sometimes God does that. He's not obligated to. But the thing about it is this. If you're looking for something, if God is moving you deeper or just calling you to serve him in a greater capacity or in a deeper capacity, you can't just listen. You also have to look. Let me ask you a question. Can you see? Can you see? Because it's important for us to have a spiritual ability to see. And God shows us things and God speaks to us. We have to be able to hear and we have to be able to see. Warren Worsby said, God's servants must have open eyes as well as open ears. You know, the thing that blows me away in the ministry of Jesus, here was God incarnate, love incarnate, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, right in front of them, and the Pharisees could not see because they were so caught up in their legalistic religion. And that'll mess you up, you guys. You got to make sure that you don't just have a legalistic religion. Well, I go on Sundays, I read my Bible, you know, I kind of go through the motions of prayer. But you know deep down inside that there's no real communication, communion that's taking place. We have to be able to see. And God shows us things. We need open ears and open eyes and open hearts. You know, like I said, man, many times my pastor used to ask me, what is God showing you? What's God showing you? What would you say if I asked you that? What is God showing you? Do you do you know? Can you see? Here we see Jeremiah has these visions. Why did God show him a branch of an almond tree? Well, it's kind of interesting. It's, it's a play on words. 
In the Hebrew language, the, the word for almond tree is uh, uh, sekid. Sekid. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I think it's sekid. And it actually comes from another Hebrew word, uh, sekad. And so they sound uh, similar. And it, and it means to, to be awake. It, it means to watch. And so the almond tree was uh, referred to as the awake tree in Israel because every year it was the first to bud and bear fruit. As a matter of fact, the blooms came before the leaves. And so, um, you know, basically God is saying, first of all, regarding this almond tree, it, it's awake and it, it watches, it watches. And so the Lord said, hey, Jeremiah, what do you see? What do you see? And so you're, oh, you're here and the God shows, says to you, hey, what do you see? And you're like, oh, I, I see, uh, uh, you know, Something that that's not God's not really showing you, but but if you're really seeing, if you're real, then you see what God's showing you. That's what happens here. And the Lord says, "Yeah, you saw correctly." <laughs> you know, the word of the Lord came. What do you see? And I said, "I see a branch of an almond tree." And the Lord said to me, "You have seen well, because I'm ready to perform my word." And so God is going to watch over his prophetic word that he gives to Jeremiah, and he's going to bring it to pass. And then another question in verse 13, the word of the Lord came to me the second time saying, what do you see? And I said, well, I see a boiling pot and it's facing away from the north. And then the Lord said to me, out of the north calamity shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north says the Lord, they shall come and each one set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around and against all the cities of Judah. I will, I will utter my judgments against them concerning all their wickedness because they have forsaken me, burned incense to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands and so when you looked at it uh, it was tilted to the north but it was pouring to the south this boiling water have you guys ever burned your hand with scalding hot water and god is just saying i'm, I'm going to bring the babylonians and when they because the babylonians would have to travel uh, from the east but they wouldn't come directly across because they would travel adjacent to the euphrates river you're going to need that and then they would always come through the north that's how they would invade israel and so God said, I'm going to bring them. Think about this. This is 40 years before that final siege. I'm going to bring them and they're going to judge Jerusalem. They're going to judge Judah. And so a lot of times people, you know, they, they listen to a study like this and they go home and there's no change. There's no change. They go home, you know, watch whatever they want to watch on television and they are on their phones or on their devices and they're doing their own thing and they don't really care about God. You want to know why they do that? Because they haven't really experienced the judgment of God yet. And so the Lord is warning, hey, you know what? Come on, get back to the, your first love. One of the things I'm seeing, even here at Calvary Chapel Almani, it seems to me like people don't want to serve the Lord faithfully. And again, I got to be careful that I don't overjudge people, you know, but it seems, seems like people are busy. 
They're not available, and it's getting crazy. And it's across the board, and I'm like, whoa, this is weird. In days in which we should be pressing forward, people are moving back. Why? Well, it's, we've never really experienced this before. God says, listen, you know, this judgment is coming, and the reason it's coming is because they've forsaken me, burned incense to other gods, and worshiped the works of their own hands. How many people worship their phone? You're like, Manny, why do you got it up there? Well, it's a timer. I, I have two minutes left. I'm just joking. I'll be honest. It is tempting, you know, but hey, you guys, man, be so careful. That television you have, those devices you have, that computer you have, the things of the world, man, I'm telling you, they'll ruin you. This, this phone right here, it can be a tool that God can use for good. It can be a toy. You waste your life. Or it could be a tragedy where you hook up with someone that you don't, you shouldn't be hooking up with or looking at things that you shouldn't be looking at. And God is just saying, okay, come on, let's get right because the, 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 the waters, the boiling water, it's coming your way. And you thought you had it bad because you're not getting everything you want. Wait until judgment comes. You guys, God is a holy God and we have to be very, very aware of this. You know, I, like I said earlier, I'm asking myself these questions as well. Lord, are you really number one in my life? Because if not, that means I'm an idolater. And so verse 17, it says, Therefore, God is saying, this is your calling, Jeremiah. This is what I have for you. And so prepare yourself and arise. And speak to them all that I command you. Do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. He's saying, okay, Jeremiah, this is uh, their future, and this is the future I have for you. So get ready, rise up, deliver my word, all of it, as a faithful messenger. Do not be afraid or foolish to hold back, Jeremiah, or I'll make a fool of you. And so for us, you know, reading this, I think of Ezekiel 3, Ezekiel 33. I, I think like the Lord, and again, you know, my, my prayer is that we would walk away from a study like this and, and that we would actually go deeper in our walk and commitment and service. And, you know, you got to find out what your gifts are, what your talents are. God gave them to you to use for his glory. Am I? Look what the Lord says about Jeremiah in verse 18. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, and against the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. Imagine that. For I have made you this day. Wow. What a day that was. What a day this could be. Maybe you're here and you've never even really given your life to Christ. You know, the other day, my wife and I, we went out with a couple. And it's just so cool to see what God has done in their life. And someone invited them to Calvary Chapel, Almani. 
they came from a background where there was zero knowledge of Jesus. They didn't know anything about Jesus. And so this individual said that they were sitting in the service one day and they didn't really understand what was being said. You know, but uh, the, 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 the call went out. Hey, does anybody here need Jesus? If you do, raise your hand. And this person said, ah, I just went ahead and raised my hand. I figured, okay, let's see if it's real. And she said she raised her hand and God came into her life. And from that point forward, she was able to understand the messages. It's as simple as that. It's a step of faith. Maybe you have never taken that step. This day, God has ordained for you to give your life to Christ. Or maybe you've drifted away, and today you need to get back. You need to get back to the Lord. You know, right here, Jeremiah would experience so much opposition. God said, hey, I I sanctified you there. I fortified you as an iron pillar to the people. The bronze walls, they speak simultaneously of his personal protection as well as their national judgment. They would fight against him. Think about that. Look again at verse 18, if you would. Look at who's fighting against him. Kings kings of judah its princes and its priests think about that all the people of the land would be fighting against him talk about being outnumbered or talk about the enemy bringing out the big guns and and one of the things i've noticed and even myself is today i was studying and i was trying to get ready for tonight and i just felt like this horrible feeling inside my stomach my body and i'm thinking lord what's going on and i just maybe you know, it's because I'm sitting down too long and I just felt like, man, the enemy is trying to come against me and this happens, that happens. And, and what I find is that, you know, Satan himself, he works through in many ways. People will come against you. Problems will arise. And then the question is, well, what are you going to do? Are you going to split? Are you going to quit? I mean, that's what happened. A lot of people, and I will tell you this, and I got to finish up real quick, but I just need to say this. There are many people, I've seen it over, my, over the years being a pastor, they had a calling on their life. They had a calling on their life. And they're no longer here. They're no longer walking with God. So it's not just like, well, this is God saying, well, you know, this is what I, I, I you're, it's fate, man. You're going to do it no matter what. No, it's God saying, this is what I've designed you to do. Will you do this? And that's why God says, prepare yourself there in verse 17, arise and, and do this. And they're going to come against you. The enemy's going to come against you. But, but you know, one of the things that we find is our enemy will not, he will not stop coming against us, but he will fail. He will not prevail. You know, their shots will wound the messenger. You can't get away from that, but you can't stop him. How come? Because of the simple fact that God is with him and God is for him and he will not quit. And and if God is for us, then you guys finish the sentence. Who can be against us? And this is what we see, you guys, in life. You know, the world says you were born because sometime in the past, living cells found out that creating a new cell is a more efficient way to pass on its information than to sustain itself indefinitely. That's what 
science will tell you. That's the nonsense of the wisdom of this world. But God says, you were born because I made you with a mission in mind. And it starts and it's rooted in a deep and intimate personal relationship with him. And so God help us to repent of our idolatry. God help us to make sure that he truly is number one in our life. And so Lord, I thank you for loving us. Thank you so much, Lord, for your word and your grace. You love these people, Lord. I know you do. And I pray they would know that. I pray, Lord, that we would turn.